Welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. This podcast series explores HR hot topics and challenges through conversations with relevant experts and real-life HR learning and OD professionals. The HR Uprising is about learning through collaboration and evidence-based action. We want colleagues to have the confidence and skills to rise up through their organizations by delivering real, lasting business value. Now, introducing your host, chartered psychologist, experienced change agent, entrepreneur, speaker, and coach, Lucinda Carney. Hello, it's Lucinda Carney from the HR Uprising podcast, and this week is another episode on the topic of communication, how we can be more persuasive, whether we're talking face-to-face with people or whether we are um, writing communication to others. You might say, well, do I really want to be persuasive? Well, I would argue that we do because much of the time we're trying to uh, influence people to want to work in a certain way, to want to be productive, to change their working patterns. Uh, It'll be to do with change and there's been lots of change that people have been involved in. So very often people resist the sense that they're being changed, something is being done to them. So if we can always have an eye on our inner salesperson, let's say, by being a bit more persuaded, then that's the key here in terms of what we're trying to to do is to move away from that very dry communication. And some of you will have listened to the episode I ran a few weeks ago, which was to do with format communication, which was how we could uh, motivate people by the way in which we write things. Again, this is really about the colour of our communication in terms of language. And if we make it more colourful, it's actually just a more positive experience all round, but it makes people find it much easier to understand um, why they should do something differently or why they should do what you want them to do or buy from you um, in whichever way it might be. I actually ran this as a webinar a few weeks ago and it was really popular. Um, If you prefer to see something with slides, I'll put the link to the actual webinar on the show notes as ever, which you can find at hruprising.com. And uh, you can go and have a look at the webinar along with all the other, we've done hosts and hosts of webinars historically. So um, more information there that you can access if you'd find it handy. So the points really that I want to cover in this podcast is we're going to look at Cialdini's shortcuts. So um, Cialdini, I didn't come up with this. He looked at the science of persuasion. He wrote a book on this topic. And I alluded to this also in my book, How to Be a Change Superhero, when we talk about corroboration. One of our superhero powers, if we're trying to um, influence others to change, is by providing corroboration or evidence for that change. And persuading and influencing others falls into that category. Now, of course, no one likes to feel manipulated. And that is the line that people who are really naturally good at influencing, it never comes over like they're manipulating you. And that's because they tune in to the other person, what they're after, um, that person's interests or, or, or requirements, having listened to them. So it's quite sincere, as opposed to something that's quite manipulative. So when I run through Cialdini's examples, as I will in a moment, it's quite key there to deep, deep dive into the 
pros and cons of each of the different styles. And then I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, one is quite light and tongue in cheek. And I used to run on a training course, but uh, it brings the point home and it's quite fun. Um, and the other one is, is quite relevant to current times uh, in terms of work related. So before I go any further, I actually wanted to give a shout out and a reminder to people about our fabulous HR Uprising LinkedIn community that's really starting to blossom. We've run a few virtual coffees lately. So uh, shout out to Palo, Kasha, Kathy and Sean, who I had a coffee with the other day. And it's something that's low key. It's never going to work if you have 500 odd people on it. But if you fancy getting involved, meeting a few people virtually, having a bit of a break, we're tending to run them on a Friday afternoon. Um, I won't run them every single week, but uh, just keep an eye on the HR Uprising LinkedIn group if you fancy doing a little bit of networking, Zoom networking on a Friday. And uh, feel free to join the LinkedIn group if you're not aware of it, of course. Uh, and that goes without saying. So please do if you're enjoying what I'm doing in terms of the podcasts, uh, you know, join any of the groups, link in with me, join us on Twitter and much appreciated is if you do have the opportunity to spread the word, let other people know about things. There are so many podcasts out there. So um, if you subscribe and like or comment on the podcast, it helps um, us be more visible to other people who might find benefit from it. So anyway, appreciate your support very much in that way. Let's get on to the topic of the day, which is how can we be more persuasive? What is it that we need to do? So the whole concept, um, I think, of people who are persuasive are the people who are very good at understanding what motivates us, aren't they? Uh, yet it's really easy when we're writing quite formal communication that it tends to be quite plain. So as I said, this is based on information that I ran on a webinar. I'm going to read out an example of a communication that I tested on this webinar. It is designed to be quite standard. So it says, Dear colleague, due to the continuing disruption caused by COVID-19, we have had to review working and staffing arrangements. As a result, we will be closing the XYZ office permanently and all staff will be expected to work from home 50% of the week and attend ABC office for 50% of the week. Further details will be available in August. Thank you. So I put that out to the chat. I said, so what do you think of that type of communication? Um, and the general feedback was that it's pretty poor, but unfortunately, not that uncommon. It's quite typical, particularly if we're doing things which are legally related, we're being very careful about the ramifications um, to get quite dry communication that goes out. And it can actually raise more resistance and questions than it answers. Um, and also, almost push people the other way. So the sort of questions that people would ask if they heard a communication like that will be, but what if ABC office is really hard for me to get to? What 50% of the week will I be expected to work? It, it generates many more questions um, than, than answers. Now, obviously, we'd always say something like this, you need to be able to discuss face-to-face. -face. It's not good practice, but I'm using it purely as, as a bad example that we can maybe apply the learning of the Lencioni's um, persuasion or influencing styles to improve it, to make it more palatable. Um, so the influencing styles that I'm going to choose to refer to, five of them come from Leoncio, Patrick Leoncioni. I think I might be pronouncing him wrong, actually, Leoncini. Um, and uh, one of them I've switched out from his uh, because I don't think it's as, in, as appropriate for the sort of work we do. And I'll explain that in a moment. So the influencing styles that we're going to look at here are, one of them is called 
appealing to authority. And I'll go through each of them in turn and to explain them further. So bringing in authority references, uh, which gives that greater validity. The second one is social argument. Uh, and again, I'll explain that more in a moment, but that's, that's more about evidence from people around us. Reciprocity or exchange is another form of influencing where I scratch your back and you scratch mine. Logical reasoning is really when you say, we've really got no alternative but to do this. This is just the way it goes. Building rapport, well, we've all heard that we buy from people um, that we like. So that's a really key one. And then the sixth one that Leanne Cini talks about is scarcity. And the, the thing with that is, I don't see it, it. You see it a lot in shops. People, it's where you're being sold to, you're being persuaded to buy. So, you know, have the last one. This special offer is only on until XYZ date. Um, but only the first six people that apply for this um, will get the special price. So, that scarcity mentality provides an urgency and influences people. Unfortunately, it does feel very much like a scarcity or manipulative um, technique. So I would suggest that we should steer away from that in the workplace as much as possible. Instead, we'd look at the other influencing style, which is more about inspiring. So how can we inspire people to want to do something in a certain way? They look to the future and they're inspired. So those are the six that I'm uh, going to go into a little bit more detail to show how we can perhaps enrich the communication that we put over to people. So let's go through for each of them in turn, I'll give an example. So with um, appealing to authority, if we were trying to encourage people to do more exercise, then we may refer to the Department of Health guidelines um, or whatever the reference body is in our particular area in terms of if we were in a specific country, you know, whichever um, our Department of Health, which we think is most, or World Health Organization. Um, so it might say that we need to get at least a, um, 150 minutes of moderate aerobic exercise. All the evidence points to this being the way we should eat, whether we should eat our five vegetables a day or seven vegetables a day or 11, whatever it might be. But it would be referring to quality evidence. Now, of course, with appealing to authority, there's two things. One, first of all, is ideally you do make sure that the authority is credible. Um, and that's an interesting one because we can say government is an authority. Uh, people feel often feel in that circumstance, though, that they're being they're having to comply with something. And obviously we know that um, views of government guidelines can uh, can be cynical sometimes. So trying wherever to choose a very credible authority. If I was in medicine, I might appeal to um, something that was written in the British Medical Journal um, or, you know, whichever, if I'm in CIPD or SHRM in terms of as an HR professional, that guidelines or recent evidence that's come out from those professional bodies say that this is the way in which we should act. That's more credible to an HR audience than obviously it is to somewhere else. So it's choosing um, an authority that's relevant to that audience. The other authority that is highly relevant in business is, of course, the board. So falling back, I need, well, the financial director says we have to do this or the board or the executive committee, um, senior management have you know decreed such and such. Now, these on our own, it's interesting. I don't know if you, any of you get that sort of sense where you've had things saying the board say we've got to do this in the same way as the government says. Um, it's persuasive to a point. It kind of means you have to do it because the consequences of not are not appetising, if you like, but it's not always that persuasive. You kind of feel like you've got to. 
So that's why I think industry bodies are more persuasive um, very often. So just thinking about that anyway, one of the key points I say from this is we shouldn't just be using one type of persuasion. We should try to enrich our communication by using three or four. And that's when we will be more naturally persuasive and people will feel that there's lots of good reasons for them to behave in a certain way. The second point was social arguments and showing my age here. And again, apologies to international listeners. I don't know if this will actually um, mean, but there used to be an advert in the 80s where they would have lovely little cats and they'd say that nine out of 10 cats prefer whiskers. So this particular brand of cat food was the brand to go for. And I mean, who can prove really that nine out of 10 cats it? I mean, we probably all have come across like the Pepsi challenge where they'd get people saying more people preferred Pepsi in a spot test. All these things, it's pure marketing, um, but it's actually incredibly powerful. So if you think about it, it's probably one of the strongest ways in which we make decisions at the moment. Think about TripAdvisor, um, Glassdoor, uh, Amazon reviews, all of these, those are social argument. We go and look and see what other people have said. And we'd, again, be more influenced by people that we think are like us. So we might in business look at that in terms of case studies. You were, If you're trying to talk to a public sector organisation or a charity, they might want to see a case study from a similar organisation or a reference. So that's their social argument. It's part of their evidence gathering. And it can be incredibly influential. Um, if we think that someone like us has bought that makeup car or that was something similar and, and gone on a specific training course, then we think actually that's the right way to go um, for that. And it's, it's very influential to people. The third type of influence is reciprocity. And this is about really exchange or fair exchange. And in an organisation where I think we might do it with individuals, they might say, well, if I cover your on-call for the next three weekends, could you swap and cover mine for the following three? That might be two individuals might do it. Two people with different skills may say, well, what if I give you free business coaching, but you'll show me how to do my accounts or use this um, accounting technology? But then sometimes you have it where you feel like you've got to do something, where people will give you something. I remember getting off the airport in somewhere like Tunisia many years ago, and it was a bit sort of jet light and hot and sticky, and people brandish flowers at you. Um, and I'd sort of take them off them because I was startled. It was the first time I'd experienced it. And then they want money. Um, so it, because they've given you something, you feel, and I, I experienced that that reciprocity duty almost. So we are proven to, if you'll give something, someone gives you something, we're proven to actually want to reciprocate. Uh, it's quite a strong driver in us. So in an organisation, however, then maybe we can do it in a you know a professional fair way. So if you've got to ask people to um, change site, then maybe you might agree to give them different working hours. The, the key is the exchange needs to be seen as fair on both sides. So you need to explore what, what good looks like for both parties. Logical reasoning is it's linked to consistency. So um, Leoncini actually says that people like to hear uh, a continuous state of yes. So if you start saying yes to something, then we are more likely to carry on saying yes. So it's they in, in terms of influencing people, it's by asking people to buy into smaller things first. Um, so then you buy into a specific, let's say a specific training program before you go on a full-fledged 
six months pro program, you might do a little taster session. Um, and if you like that, then you might build up to it. So it's quite a safe way of doing things and, and people are you know fairly getting to understand something. But equally, you'll see on certain websites, they might ask you to spend a tiny amount or, or and once you've bought into that tiny amount, then you might buy a little bit more. That's linked to consistency. Logical reasoning is also this whole piece where we push in and go, but if you think about this, do you agree that um, this energy provider is actually can save you £60 a month? And then if you scale this up, you can see that actually this is going to cost save you this amount of money. And on an ongoing basis, over a number of years, then it's going to save you even more. So do you want to switch to this energy provider? So that feels a bit more like a sales pitch that you might experience, but it, they're taking you on a logical reasoning journey um, and then they're kind of building up. It doesn't have to be manipulative. It can just be something like we've looked at the evidence and we can see that we can save 20% of productivity by changing our business process. If we do that and make that saving, we will not have to make any job cuts this year. Okay, so there's a logical reasoning there and that's a quite a fair, straight talking way of communicating. So we've done four. So just quick recap. If you remember, we've done um, appealing to authority. We've done social argument. We've done reciprocity. We've done logical reasoning. And the two more are building rapport, which is the crux really of us getting on with people. But often you experience it really badly um, out there. So in, in our roles, if we're talking to people that we know and we work with, it's about making eye contact, even if we are remote. Um, it's using we, our, us, listening to people, using people's names, um, reflecting someone's terminology if they use a certain type of terminology, recognising them, just building a relationship with them genuinely. It's not something to fake. So it's just being genuinely grateful and real and human. Um, and I feel over the last four to six months, people have really had to try and do that more and get to know people. So it's mastering that and making it genuine. And if people have got a good relationship, then they're much more likely to be persuaded by you because they trust you. And that's the key. So we shouldn't just kind of send out dry information. You've got to actually have that position of trust in the first place. And once you have that, you're much more likely to be influential. Now, of course, there are really poor examples of that. If you think of marketing emails that drop into your inbox, where because they've got you on a mailing list, they know your first name, and then they use it all the way through in a pretty artificial way of building rapport. That isn't rapport. Um, that's manipulation, and that doesn't work. In fact, it has the opposite effect. And then our final one, which I switched out from scarcity, is inspiring. So if we're having to do written communication, we're communicating people to do a change. It's about inspiring them that it's for the greater good. Um, we're all in this together. Um, so there's a very old, I'm fairly sure it's an urban myth, but it's a great story uh, where apparently President Kennedy was having a tour around NASA and there was a janitor sweeping the floors and the president asked him, you know, what was he doing? What was his job? And the janitor said that his job was to put a man on the moon or help to put a man on the moon, certainly be part of the team. Now, that's great, isn't it? And I think if you think about people in healthcare who are cleaning and those sort of roles, which could feel really they're at the sharp end of things, aren't they? Uh, quite unpleasant sometimes, but really actually having very clean hospitals, particularly at the moment, that is an incredibly important job. They are genuinely saving lives. So it's about helping people to see in their role that part of the bigger picture. And that is something that I talk about in terms of goal setting. It's absolutely vitally important. Uh, we should be trying to inspire people all the way to see the bigger picture is what they're part of. 
So those are the six influencing types that um, I wanted to share with you. And uh, I'll come back to the uh, example that we did uh, that I went to earlier, which was obviously a business example. And I'm going to share with you a light-hearted example and see if you can hear the difference between two. Now, I ran it as a poll and uh, and it worked pro and con. It is based on a true story, actually. So the scenario is that um, it's a parent and a daughter on this example, and you are the parent as listening to this, and you're talking to your child if you have one, or just pretend if not. And your daughter has approached you and said, please, can I have a new bedroom carpet? I'd like you to spend £750. Well, that's roughly what it would cost to get a new bedroom carpet. No one's feeling flush at the moment. So actually on the face of it, how motivated do I feel? There is a bedroom carpet. Okay, it's a bit old, but how motivated do I really feel to do this? Now, as you can imagine, and this would include me at the time, not very many people felt particularly motivated to do this. And actually in our poll, um, you know, 80% of people were not at all or not really was their level of motivation. Not surprisingly. Okay, so um, Q daughter who has um, been practicing influencing techniques so put into a, a powerpoint presentation or a face-to-face communication or even a, a letter some of it is face-to-face so hello mummy how was your week away i've really missed you and you get a big smile or a hug contact feeling the rapport there i've put your favorite wine in the fridge and i thought we could have some sofa time together tonight and you can choose the movie so a bit of a bit of exchange going on here some sofa time so again some rapport and letting me choose a movie did you know i've been doing some really interesting work in phse which is basically the health bit at school about the health risks of old carpets by the way this is all nonsense (laughs) they showed us bma which is medical research which states that carpets that are more than 20 years old can reduce academic attainment in children this is because dust mites, can, dust mites can affect concentration, especially in children, which would obviously affect studying for exams. In fact, Jessica's parents changed her carpet last year and her exam results increased by 25%. Wouldn't it be great if you could achieve increased exam results through new carpets, obviously? So you can see from there, we've got some appealing to authority and it's relevant to this situation because it's relevant to children's concentration and then some social evidence here saying that Jessica's parents changed her carpet and her exam results increased by 25%. As you know, I'm absolutely committed to becoming a vet when I'm older and I know that it would make the whole family really proud, inspiring us. So it's really important that I achieve the best possible exam results, logical reasoning, and it would make sense for us to remove any possible barriers to this. Therefore, given that my carpet is more than 20 years old, do you think we could replace it soon? In return, here comes the exchange, I would obviously commit to keeping my bedroom tidy and would contribute £50 from my own money. So this is a 12, 13 year old. And of course, how how likely are they to keep their bedroom tidy? So it's up to me to make the judgment call on all of that. And the reality is, you can see, I did it as a tongue in cheek example, but can you see how much more enriching this is? I do feel like, you know, I do feel sold to, but I don't mind that much because it's quite persuasive. And when we put that subject out there, uh, the scores, again, completely flipped around. So 90, 96% of people felt either a little more motivated or much more motivated. So it's just a really simple example of how we can, I say, can I have a new bedroom carpet? We can work on people and influence them to maybe want to support us in achieving that aim. So let's go back to our 
sad dear colleague one at the start and see if we can improve that one just to close. So remember the dear colleague, due to the continuing disruption caused by COVID-19, we've had to review working and staffing arrangements. As a result, we will be closing the XYZ office permanently and all staff will be expected to work from home 50% of the week and attend ABC office for 50% of the week. Further week details will be available in August. Okay, that was the original. Let's see if we can approve it. Dear colleague, thank you for your commitment and flexibility during these challenging times. Due to your flexibility, I believe that we're going to exit this crisis as a stronger, more aligned business than we were before and go on to far greater things. As you know, we have followed government and Department of Health guidelines extremely closely and have had to review working arrangements to ensure the safety of all staff. As a result, we've decided we need to close the XYZ office permanently. We've examined working practices that other businesses are similar to ours have used and found that a model of 50% homeworking and 50% office-based using the concept of operating in bubbles has been beneficial to both well-being and productivity. All staff will be provided with a grant for homeworking setup, so desks, monitors, um, headphones, etc. And we will also consider adjusting hours for those with a longer commute that's caused by this office move. Thank you again for your continued support to the business during these challenging times and further details will be available in August. Thank you. So you can see it's still the same message, but there's more explanation. It's a bit longer, obviously, um, but it's much more positive and constructive. And you can see the appealing to authority in terms of government guidelines. They've alluded to social, uh, similar, similar organisation that this model has worked for. There is exchange in terms of providing people with um, a kit to work at home and also adjusting hours if they're going to be affected by that change in commute. The rapport is there in terms of the thank you and the recognition and that influencing is about them, um, inspiring, sorry, is about that greater, stronger, more aligned business. So there's six bits of influence in there and it's still something you can read. You don't have to put six bits of influence in everything, but why not reflect on communication that's going out from your organisation and see whether very often the two types of influence that you see are appealing to authority and logical reasoning and often that's all. Certainly, I used to experience that type of um, communication from the businesses that I worked in. And isn't it much more powerful when some of these other aspects are incorporated as well? So I hope you found that useful. I hope there's something to refer to. As I said earlier, if you want to actually download the slides um, or view the webinar, I'll put those in the link on the show notes because you can go back and look at this because quite this is visual as well. Thanks again for um, being an HR Uprising podcast listener. Uh, if you're enjoying it, please do subscribe, share, comment, um, recommend. It's really appreciated uh, to help us be visible and to support other professionals. And do join into our LinkedIn group and perhaps even come and join us for a virtual coffee sometime. Many thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising podcast. You can access more information, including resources or links mentioned in the show at our website, www.hruprising.com. Also, you might want to join our LinkedIn community or tweet to us at HR Uprising. We'd love to hear from you.